0: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the ATF podcast, a weekly podcast series where I take books on investment, personal finance, and break them down chapter by chapter so that I am forced to learn and understand them. But more importantly, I can hopefully teach you as well. In this episode series, we are going through the fantastic book called The Psychology of Money by Morgan House. In this episode, we discuss chapter number 10, which I think is the most important chapter of the book. If there's one takeaway from the entire book, it's in this chapter. Chapter is titled, Save Money. The only factor you can control generates the only things that matter. How wonderful. Past a certain level of income, people fall into three categories. Those who save, those who don't think they can save, and those who don't think they need to save. This chapter is for the latter two, that is those who don't think they can save and those who don't think they need to save. This chapter is divided into seven parts, seven small parts, and I'll go through them in if you want to stop at any part, please feel free to and come back to it whenever you want. Number one, the first idea, simple but easy to overlook, is that building wealth has little to do with your income or investment returns and lots to do with your savings rate. He goes into the story of the oil crisis of the 1970s and compares it to how in in uh, in the in 2020s we have not decreased our dependency on gas, on oil, but we have created uh, cars that do not need as much gas as they previously did. And an example can be the United States uses 60% less energy per dollar of cross-domestic product today, that is in, the, in 2020, than it did in 1950. The average miles per gallon of all vehicles on the road has doubled, since 1975, meaning cars are more efficient with the amount of uh, gas, either petrol or diesel that you give it. An example is a 1989 Ford Taurus, which is a sedan, averaged 18 miles per gallon. A 2019 Chevy Suburban, an absurdly large SUV, averages 18.1 miles per gallon. The world grew its energy wealth not by increasing the energy it had, but by decreasing the energy it needed. And the important thing is that finding more energy is largely out of our control, right? You can't just find new oil or some more oil. And more importantly, shrouded in uncertainty, you don't really know you'll get it because it relies on a slippery mix of having the right, in this case, geology, geography, weather, and geopolitics. But becoming more energy efficient with energy we use is largely within our control. We can do this in several ways if we're talking about an oil crisis. The decision to buy a lighter car or ride a bike or simply to walk is up to you and has a 100%, 100% chance of improving efficiency. You know that if I use a car every day for commute, um, I spend, let's say, a uh, 2,000 rupees a month on fuel, right? That roughly comes up to, I'm guessing, $300. or sorry, $30, right? Um, That's a lot of money. But you know that if your commute is short, if you have time to to spend on your commute, if you don't mind, you know, working up a sweat, taking a bike or simply walking is possible. And it not only saves you uh, that 2,000 rupees, but it gives you surety that you save that 2,000 rupees and having purity, removing uncertainty, more importantly, having complete control is important. Personal savings and frugality are parts of the money equation that are more in your control and have a 100% chance of being as effective in the future as they are today. If you, view, if you view building wealth as something that will require more money or big investment returns, you may become as pessimistic as anyone who was looking at the energy crisis in the 1970s, the path forward looks hard and beyond your control. If you are forced to say that the only way I can become wealthy or the only way I can achieve more is if I expand my income from 100 to 150, or if my um, returns on the the income that I already invest go from 12% to 15%, then it's largely beyond your control, you have to uh, You have to either work extremely hard to get your employer to notice you, and then maybe then they'll give you a raise, or you need to make sure that you invest in the right places, or the market can just give you a return. But saving more, sort of going from 100 to 115 saving is largely within your control. Wealth is just the accumulated leftovers, he says. After you spend what you take in, which is savings, And since you can build wealth without a high income, but have no chance of building wealth without a high savings rate, it's clear which one matters more. So wealth is not high income, but high saving. Point number two, more importantly, the value of wealth is relative to what you need. Say you and I have the same net worth and say you're a better investor than me. You can earn 8% and I can earn 12% but I'm more efficient with my money. Let's say I need half as much money to be happy while your lifestyle compounds as fast as your assets. Meaning as you get richer or as your investment returns go up, your lifestyle goes up. I'm better off than you are despite being a worse investor. That's 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 an important key. And it also takes a lesson from a previous chapter called com- confounding compounding. If you're able to grow your wealth and more importantly, compound your wealth, yes, that does give you a lot of returns over time, but if you increase your saving, your your spending capacity at the same compounded rate of your investments, then you are effectively saving the same amount versus someone else, which Hazel has given the example of that someone earns less an investment return, but keeps their spending rate the same. Every time their investment returns compound, their spending remains the same. So their savings automatically goes up. Therefore, even though you earn 12% return a year and they earn 8% return a year, they are achieving wealth faster than you are. And one of the ways they're doing this is learning to be happy with less this creates a gap between what you have and what you want a high savings rate in this case means having lower expenses than you otherwise could and having lower expenses means your savings can go farther than they would if you spent more think about this context of how much time and effort goes into achieving a 0.1 percent of annual investment outperformance. If you earn 12% a year, and if you go, if you sort of strive to earn 12.1% a year, that 0.1% can be incredible. But it, if it comes at the cost of you increasing your spending, it's not really going to have that much of an effect. He says there are professional investors who spend 80 hours a week to add a tenth of a percentage point, which is 0.1%. 1% to their in, to their returns when they are 2 or 3 full percentage points of lifestyle bloat in their finances that can be exploited with less effort, meaning they try to get 0.1% ahead, but they're pushing themselves back by 2 or 3%, which is one step forward, 20 steps back. Point number three, past a certain level of income, what you need is just what sits below your ego and this is uh, reflective of the man in the car paradox which we discussed two episodes ago. Everyone needs the basics but spending beyond a pretty low level of materialism is mostly a a reflection of ego approaching income. A way to spend money to show people that you have or had money. If you define savings as the gap between your ego and income, you realize why many people with decent incomes have so little. It's a daily struggle against instinct to extend your sort of outward boastfulness to their outermost limits, and keep up with others, what others are doing. You don't need to spend because everybody's spending. And you certainly don't need to show that to match that level of ego. If your goal is savings, make sure that you suppress the ego. People with enduring personal finance success tend to have a propensity, which is just just a rapid need to not give a damn about what others think about them. And it's true in all walks of life. Point number four. People's ability to save is more in their control than you might think savings can be created by spending less and you can spend less if you desire less you desire less if you just don't give a damn about what other people think so saving is less spending spending is having less desires having less desires is just not giving a damn point number five and you don't need a specific reason to save now most people save for a particular goal in fact the boutique investment companies that force you to save for a specific goal because that way you have an end you have a feedback loop and you have something that you really 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 want that can be a house a vacation um a, a, a dream object that you want to acquire etc you don't really need A reason to save. And on the flip side, you don't really need a negative reason to save. I want to save because in the case of an emergency, uh, I need to have six to 12 months of float left, right? Don't that, although that's a good habit, um, that's not necessarily, you don't really need that to to save. You can save for saving sake. And indeed you should, everyone should, he says. Only saving for specific goals makes sense in a predictable world, but ours isn't. Saving is a hedge against life's inevitable ability to surprise the hell out of you at the worst possible moment. More importantly, saving without a spending-related goal gives you options and flexibility, the ability to wait and the opportunity to bounce. It gives you time to think. It lets you change course on your own terms. Point number six, flexibility and control over your time is an unseen return on wealth. What is the return on cash in the bank that gives you the option of changing careers? That's immense. It's absolutely immense. When you don't have control over your time, you're forced to accept whatever bad luck is thrown your way. But if you have the flexibility, which comes to you by saving, you have the time to wait for and absolutely amazing opportunities to fall in your lap. Savings in the bank that earns 0% interest might actually generate an extraordinary return if it gives you the flexibility to take a job with a lower salary but more purpose and something that can give you more long-term benefits than anything else. Last point, point number seven. A hidden return is becoming more and more important. Now, he starts off by focusing on how hyper-global the world has become from being hyper-local. A hyper-local world is a, a world where you f- where you're forced to compete with people within your locality. The, the best teacher is often the best teacher in the neighborhood. The best baker is often the best baker in the neighborhood. The best producer of anything of value is the best producer of value within that neighborhood. But the world is becoming more hyper-global, not just the produce that we get, but in terms of anything that you want with the help of the internet, just accrues to the best person. Therefore, intelligence within a particular area is not a reliable advantage in a world that has become as connected as ours has, but flexibility is. Competitive advantages, tilt towards nuanced and soft skills, skills that comes with flexibility, like communication, empathy, and perhaps most of all, flexibility. You can wait for good opportunities, both in your career and your investments, if you have flexibility. You'll have a better chance of being able to learn a new skill when it's necessary, if you have flexibility. You can find a new routine, a slower pace, and think about a life with a different set of assumptions with flexibility. Flexibility is the ability to do these things when, when most others can't. It's one of those few things that will set you apart in a world where intelligence is no longer a sustainable advantage. Having more control over your time and options is becoming the one of the most valuable currencies in the world. And it's a currency that you can achieve just by saving. Those are the seven points to save money. I'll go through them once again, just so that you have uh, something to remember. The first idea is simple. Building wealth has little to do with your income or investment returns and lots to do with your savings rate. Second, the the value of wealth is relative to what you need. Third, past a certain level of income, what you need is just what sits below your ego. People's ability to save is more in their control than they might think. Point number five, you don't need a specific reason to save. Point number six, flexibility and control over your time is an unseen return on wealth. Final point, point number seven, hidden returns are becoming even more important. That's it from this episode of the ATF podcast. If there's any way I can improve, do let me know. Please do check out my Twitter. If you want a link to this absolutely fantastic book, it's in the description. That's it from this episode. I will see you next time.